Uh, good morning. Uh, today's Old Testament reading is from Psalms 51, verses 1 to 12, and you can find it in your Pew Bible on page 483. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence, and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner, when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my inequities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Our Gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of John. Chapter 12, beginning at verse 20 and going up to, through verse 36. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival, and the festival is the Passover festival in Jerusalem, were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is with you for a little longer. 
Walk while you have the light so the darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in the darkness, you do not know where you're going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, it is indeed Jesus we wish to see and hear. And so may we see and hear him through these words and in this time by the power and grace of your love. In your son's name we pray, amen. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. The people who make that request to Philip and Andrew are called Greeks in the Gospel of John, meaning they're probably Greek-speaking Gentiles who are converts to Judaism, and they've come to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. In any case, they are here in Jerusalem, and their request goes beyond mere curiosity that is content with being a spectator from afar to hear and see Jesus. Now... They want to meet Jesus. Their presence and their request fulfills the observation that was made in verse 19 just before this passage. The observation of some Pharisees who said, look, the world has gone after him. What about us? Do we wish to see Jesus? I'm not talking about a case of curiosity that we might utter with an inner might as well. No, I'm talking about something deeper. Do we long or ache to see Jesus? Perhaps we're tired of having more doubt than faith and want some certainty. Perhaps we're tired of seeing too many stories of atrocities in war, of school shootings, of political leaders who are far better at criticizing and insulting each other than they are actually are at doing something constructive, perhaps because of all that, we want to see Jesus and have him show us a way out. Or perhaps we're just tired and are ready to give up the burdens we are carrying and want someone to take them on. Do you ever feel like these Greeks here in John? Do you ever thirst? you ever wish to see Jesus? Frederick Buechner talks about seeing a movie in a college movie theater a number of years ago. The movie was a Frederick Fellini movie, The Sweet Life, translated. It begins with a helicopter flying low on, over the ground, and the helicopter has, held by a rope, descending a statue of Jesus with outstretched arms. And the helicopter is flying very low. As you can imagine, it causes a great deal of excitement for those on the ground. There are some farmers in the field who look and shout with laughter, Hey, it's Jesus! And then the helicopter flies over a rooftop pool with bikini-glad girls basking in the sun. The girls look up and wave, and the young pilot and crew on the helicopter wave back. During all of this, the reaction of the audience was, of course, to laugh at the incongruity of the whole thing, Beekner writes. 
There was a sacred statue dangling from the sky on the one hand, and the profane young Italians and the bosomy young bathing beauties on the other hand, the one made of stone, so remote, the others made of flesh, so bursting with light. But then Beatner described what happened next. Then for the first time, the camera starts to zoom in on the statue itself with its arms stretched out until for a moment the screen is almost filled with just the bearded face of Christ. And at that moment, there was no laughter at all in the theater full of students and their dates and paper, uh, cups full of buttery popcorn. Nobody laughed during that moment, he writes, because there was something about that face for just a few seconds there on the screen that made them be silent. The face hovering there in the sky and the outstretched arms for a moment. Not too long to be sure, there was, a, there was no sound as if they knew only for a moment they belonged to that face. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Perhaps those Greeks have seen Jesus heal those no one else could heal, lepers and the lame and the blind. Perhaps they had heard him speak with an authority that they had never heard from anyone else. How he taught using these parables that provoked questions and thoughts and made them think differently and look differently at things. Or perhaps they were amazed about how he parried the questions and challenges from the Pharisees and other Jewish leaders, either with statements that they could not refute or questions they could not answer. Or perhaps they had heard or seen Jesus welcome those whom others would ostracize, like the Samaritan woman at the well, or tax collectors and other sinners. Whatever the reason, these so-called Greeks are ready now to see Jesus up close, to meet him. Just in the nick of time, it turns out, it's almost too late we're in Jerusalem in chapter 12 of John's Gospel, and it is Tuesday, just three days before Jesus will die. Don't worry, we're not skipping Palm Sunday or Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Next Sunday when you come, we'll have palm branches, we'll have a child riding a donkey. But there's so much that happens in that final week that we need to peek ahead to see one of Jesus' last encounters with the crowds and to hear him speak about what lies ahead. Certainly Jesus has no illusion about what lies ahead. He tells the Greeks and everyone else in earshot that the hour has come. Perhaps it indeed is the rival of these Greeks which has triggered Jesus' sense of the timing. In any case, he's in Jerusalem. And he knows that he will die in Jerusalem. But then he says three puzzling things about it. First, he talks about grains of wheat in the verse that you see on the cover of the bulletin this week. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Second, he makes an even stranger claim. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
when he says that, he's talking about his death. His death on a cross. And then he says about his death on the cross, this third thing, and when I am lifted up from the earth on the cross, I will draw all people to myself. What does he mean? How is the cross like a grain of wheat? And how can an instrument of execution, the cross, be a place where God is glorified and all people are drawn to Jesus? Jesus is on a mission here. It is for this reason that I have come to this hour, he says. And he knows that that mission will take him to his death. It's not that he wants to die. Indeed, Jesus' humanity shines through when he says, My soul is troubled. But he also will not be dragged, kicking and screaming to his death. No, in obedience, he freely accepts a fate he did not seek. Yet in his acceptance of God's will for his life, he is at one with that will. When a small child was told in a Sunday school class one day that Christ was sent into the world by God to die for our sins, she cried out, I love Jesus, but I hate God. But as Carrie reminded us in a sermon earlier this Lent, that gets the story all wrong. Remember John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What Jesus does is what God does. The cross reveals how far human sin can go. Even one who is perfectly innocent, even one who is God's very son will be killed because those in power are threatened by Jesus' words, by his actions, by his very presence. And that's not just true for the leaders of God's people lest we think it's only those in power who sin and reject Jesus and eventually kill him. Even Jesus' chosen 12, the ones who've been with him the whole way, all of them, all of them abandon or betray him. We all sin. We all fall short. We all, in ways large or small, send Jesus to the cross. The cross reveals how far human sin can go. But even more, the cross reveals how far God's love will go. You know, when you hurt or injure someone, hurt or injure someone you have a relationship with, a friend or family member, you cannot repay that debt in most cases. Sure, if you borrow a car and you wreck the car, you can pay for the damage. But there's no way that we can take back that cruel word that was spoken. There is no way we can take back that slap or blow to the body. There is no way that we can take back that lie or that talking behind their back or that adultery. The only way for that relationship to be restored and made whole is if the injured party is willing to let go is willing to forgive that debt. And that can be costly. In our relationship with God, the injuries and betrayal are far greater, as is the cost. And those are debts that we can never repay. Never. 
But out of love in Jesus Christ, God is willing to take on those debts, bear those costs, no matter how dear they may be, even if it results in death. Jesus' death on the cross cannot erase our sinful past. But it can give us a new future that is not defined by that past. It can give us a fresh start. Jesus will die like all humans die because He is fully human. But His death, like no other death, opens the gates to new life because he's the Son of God. Yet the cross is not just about our individual sins and our individual lives. More is at stake here. The cross also reveals Jesus' victory over the powers of this world. This is what Jesus means when he says here in John 12, now the ruler of this world will be driven out At the cross and the empty tomb, Jesus reveals that God's power and God's love is greater than evil, greater than death, greater than all the forces in the world that make for such awful headlines and such terrible stories. While it may not always be apparent, and while it may take time to become apparent, what the cross the empty cross, and the empty tomb reveal, is that the way of Jesus, the way of love, triumphs ultimately. This is why John 12 can say that Jesus' death on the cross bears fruit and glorifies God. And this is why Jesus can also say that when Jesus is lifted up on the cross, all people will be drawn to him Because the cross is not the end. It is the beginning. A gateway opening up new life, not just for the Jews, but also for the Greeks, the Gentiles, that is, all God's children. The ground in front of the cross is level. None of us are worthy to draw near to God on our own, no matter how good our religious pedigree might be or our religious heritage is. We can only draw near to God because of what God has done in Jesus Christ, not just for us here, but for all God's children. We invite others to join us because we are all invited to draw near to God, thanks to the cross, thanks to the love of God and the obedience of Jesus Christ. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. The Jesus the Greeks encounter in Jerusalem on that last Tuesday may well be more than they bargained for. Messiahs and religious heroes are not to die after all. The Messiah remains forever, they cry out. And they are in particular not to die on a cross at the hands of infidel Roman authorities. Such a death is a scandal to Jews and it's simply foolish to non-Jews. But God's ways are not our ways. Jesus will not count equality with God as something to be grasped and held on to, but will humble himself and empty himself even unto death on the cross. So it is that Jesus is glorified on the cross 
God will let nothing stand in the way of His love and mercy, not even our sin, not even evil, not even death. And so it is that God is glorified at the cross. This is all hard to swallow. <clears throat> then and now, as Bill Placker writes, we assume that one achieves power by growing stronger, asserting oneself, seizing the initiative, build up your military defenses, fight the corporate battle, learn to be assertive. These are the lessons of our society. But the lesson of Jesus Christ here in John 12 that is in the weakness of God's love that is stronger. It is Jesus' death that will bear fruit and give new life. And it is in His death at, at the hands of the authorities on the cross when everyone but God's only Son will abandon Jesus. Everyone. It's there that God will be glorified. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. The Jesus that deep down we long to see may also be more than we bargained for. Indeed, He is always far more than we can imagine, more than we can even hope for, more than we can understand. But He is never more than we are worthy of, of because His love declares us worthy. He is always ready to welcome us into His presence. That is why He's willing to go to the cross to bridge and overcome everything that might separate us from God. Everything. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. What these Greeks in John 12 might not know yet is that the only way to see Jesus, the only way to really understand and know Him is to walk with Him. Discipleship is not a matter of figuring everything out and then following Jesus. No, it is only in following Jesus that we will see or understand or know Him. So, let us travel with Jesus to the mountaintop, but also through the darkest valleys. Let us travel with Him all the way, all the way to the cross and beyond. Then, and only then, will we see and know Him as we have always been seen and known and loved by Him. And let us begin our walk with Jesus by standing and proclaiming our faith with the words from Philippians 2, which you'll find in the bulletin. Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess to the glory of God, Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen.